Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Soccer Talk Podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. In episode 119, we discuss how Fox presents the Bundesliga differently than Major League Soccer, concerns about ESPN Plus in more ways than one, US Open Cup signs a major new deal with ESPN, plus letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer. And I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnayar. Kartik, this past week has been absolutely crazy, absolutely nuts for me. Uh, everything from, of course, the Champions League, um, a lot of football this past weekend, uh, taking my kids again to a different uh, travel games. So it's been absolutely nuts. Um, but one of the one of the things that have come back this past week, and kind of one of the complaints, whether it's through social media, mostly social media, of course, is that uh, is that we hate MLS, and and nothing can be further from the truth. And and people say that because oftentimes in this past week and, and in previous months, we've been critical about Major League Soccer, but we've been critical about the Premier League, especially the last couple of seasons. And it's not just Major League Soccer. It's I mean we ca- we call it the way we see it. Uh, and a lot of fans, a lot of even readers or listeners think like, oh, you guys hate MLS. That is not true. I mean, to me, some of the happiest days in my life in, in terms of watching soccer was with, uh, the, the, with the MLS and the Miami Fusion locally going to those games. I'm excited about next season, about Inter-Miami coming into the city. Uh, and I'm also excited about taking my kids to, to experience that. Um, so I think in many ways, a lot of listeners and readers, m- mostly social media, uh, and it's a defensive mechanism sometimes, is that they think, oh, yeah, Chris or Kartik or World Soccer Talk hates Major League Soccer. That there can be n- nothing further from the truth. That that is not true. What, do, you get, do you get that too, Kartik, sometimes? Uh, I don't think I get it as much as you. I mean, that, what I get is that I hate the Premier League. And no, I don't hate the Premier League. I watch the Premier League more than I watch any other league. Uh, do I hate uh, some of the marketing and the structure of the Premier League? Do I, would I prefer a German model of community ownership uh, than what you have in England? Uh, yeah, I would, quite frankly. But it doesn't mean I hate the league. Uh, but yeah, I, I get it more about the Premier League than MLS. I mean, I think MLS... Uh, I get it from people about MLS also. I also get it from people who say I'm a shill for MLS. So 
I get about equal. <laughs> you know, people who say I hate MLS, people who say I show for them. So uh, I guess maybe I, I'm covering MLS with, with more balance than, um, than a lot of people then. Right. And, and there's no doubt that we are critical. There's no doubt that at times we are negative. Uh, but there is no doubt that we are straight shooters. I mean, we call it the way we see it. Uh, we praise great things when great things happen. And we're you mean, critical about when bad things happen. And, and it's for us, at the end of the day, we just want soccer to grow in the United States. Um, and I think in many ways for Major League Soccer, a lot of it is taking off the training wheels. I mean, it's, it, we're now in, what, 2019, uh, many, many years of Major League Soccer. I think we're, we're okay now in terms of the stability of the league. Um, but that's a whole other conversation for a whole other network or a whole other show. But Carter, so let's dive right into the TV ratings and the, well, actually the TV viewing. This past week, speaking of the Bundesliga, speaking of Major League Soccer, speaking of the Premier League and other leagues, uh, there's been a lot of great games. But uh, for you, what have been some of the highlights? Yeah, I think, Chris, the, the big thing this week for me is that there were some concerns about ESPN Plus uh, that I didn't previously have. And, and I've been very supportive of that product. And I know that's a topic conversation uh, for a lot of folks. Two, two, two incidents on Saturday. One, uh, the Birmingham, uh, the, the Brum Leeds match. Huge match in terms of both relegation, uh, Gary Monk's team having suffered a points deduction uh, for Birmingham and, and promotion for Leeds United. Um I'm watching the first half of the match. Halftime, it says, okay, you know, your program is in a on break or whatever that message is. We'll be right back. And they keep saying that. And then I realized finally I go on uh, – I, I switch the TV. I'm watching uh, whichever uh, Bundesliga match was on, whichever Premier League match was on. The Bundesliga match was Leverkusen-Leipzig. I remember that. Uh, but – and then I realized, wow, this has been a long halftime. <laughs> and, and then I checked uh, the scores on – uh, uh, on Sky Sports or wherever, or maybe one, one of the apps, and I see it's the 52nd minute, still giving me that message. So I re, I, I know I, I log out of ESPN, come back in, I'm fine. Uh, second half is, is airing while I'm, I'm, I'm uh, watching that and some other matches. Then Juve was playing uh, AC Milan uh, later in the day, actually not much later, I think an hour or two later, and um, I click on the uh, um, the the, the um, graphic. Uh, this event is about to begin, you know, that classic ESPN graphic. Yeah. And then um, I, I'm thinking, oh, I thought this match was at 11.50. It starts at noon Eastern time. But then again, I checked the scores and it's in the eighth minute. So uh, these are problems I haven't had with ESPN Plus uh, before. Now, granted, in the evening, I watched some uh, MLS matches. Uh, the, I watched the Orlando-Colorado match. I watched the Santa Portland match. I watched some USL matches, the Tampa Bay Rowdies matches. I think you might have watched as well. Uh, I didn't have any problems. But Saturday morning, I had problems with two different events, different leagues with ESPN Plus. So that was uh, a little bit disappointing. So that was kind of the uh, the big thing this weekend for me. Obviously, a lot of other football between I, I, Champions League and the I, different I leagues. wonder, though, Kartik, with ESPN Plus, I mean, they, they've taken on so many games now. I mean, you look at the schedule, you look at all the leagues that they have. I mean, the schedule now versus even a year ago is probably you know, five times as much games. Um, yeah. So, it, and, and there's definitely people behind the scenes that are have, having to queue up the games, getting the right streams ready, and, and, and all the all the the stuff behind the scenes that we never see, and, and of course, this is BAM Tech really more than uh, it is ESPN, uh, the company. The BAM Tech guys are having to set this all up. 
So so maybe there's a little bit of issues there. I I personally, I mean, you, you watch probably more ESPN Plus than I do. I haven't experienced as many issues. I still have the issues kind of logging in sometimes where it forgets that um, I'm, I'm a subscriber and I have to go through the whole process again. Uh, and sometimes it, it's hard to find a game because I know that there's a game on and I'm looking through the live section. I can't find it there. Scroll down to you mean the championship or whichever league I'm looking for, still can't find it, and then have to go to the search uh, section and just type in the name of, of the game, and then it comes up. So it's not as... I mean, that's the thing with ESPN+. Plus. It's a, you mean, For the price, you can't beat it. Um, the actual design of it is still not there. It's still got a long way to go. And yes, they added on some... Um, s- supposedly, uh, some optimization in the last few months where the, the types of programming you watch more often are going to appear more at the top and it's kind of more of a maybe not a one-to-one experience but pretty close to it uh, i still think it's it's a long way off from that there's still a lot of content that comes up and like i have no interest zero interest in, in this stuff um i guess it's a work in progress but but hopefully hopefully they'll improve through different iterations as time goes on uh, actually, Chris, I would argue again, just personal experience, and this is anecdotal, but uh, it's gotten less uh, relevant uh, when it first launched. Well, it first launched a year ago, but let's say uh, starting about August when they picked up when they had moved uh, the the championship, or they moved the championship. But when the championship in Serie A kicked off for its new season, uh, that was what I was getting. At those two things in MLS and MLS Live as my three kind of featured things them very easily now there's all kinds of other stuff i have to scroll past or scroll through um i I think it it would give me 30 for 30 videos too because i like watching even though i don't watch a whole lot of uh non-soccer sporting events i do like watching those documentaries uh, even about sports i'm not interested in they're just most of them are really well done uh but uh, i just like watching documentaries period about the history politics whatever um but now I'm scrolling through a lot of stuff that's not really relevant to what I watch on on that platform, and I'm having to scroll uh, a long way to find the ESPN FC program. So some days, and I'm, and I'm sorry to say this, although it's the same thing, right? I'm getting the same content. It's just audio. Some days I'm just not even bothering, and I'm just podcasting uh, the ESPN FC show on uh, iTunes or on Apple Podcasts and just listening to it because I, I'm frustrated by having to, to really dig to find it on ESPN Plus, which wasn't the case uh, when uh, the, the, the platform launched. That having been said, obviously when the platform launched, like you said, Chris, they didn't have all this content. So right. ESPN FC was one of the first things they threw on there, the first or second week uh, that they launched ESPN uh, Plus, and uh, now you have to sur- you have to scroll to find it. Uh, sometimes you have to scroll to find previous episodes. It's it's, it's really not as convenient as it used to be for me. It, it'll be interesting because later this year they're planning on launching Disney Plus, which is going to have you mean a lot of Disney kids programming, but then also will have Marvel programming and probably eventually once some of the rights run out at other. Uh, broadcasters or other streamers or other agreements they'll have some star wars programming there too and the idea is is that they're going to bundle the two together so it's going to be with espn plus you can get disney plus at a discount or there's going to be some type of bundle there how they pull that off i mean whether it's two separate apps completely or if it's one where you have both espn plus and uh, disney plus together perhaps um that will be interesting it's almost better to have two separate ones 
but it can it, it could add more to the complexity of this whole thing. Uh, at the end of the day, you may, the price point gives us a lot of uh, patience. I mean, a lot more patience than we would say if we're paying nineteen ninety nine a month for Fox Soccer Match Pass, and there's very little programming on there other than the Bundesliga, really. Um, but yeah, so that, that that's something to, to to take note of as far as Disney Plus, and that's that's what they're heading to, and and that's one of the reasons the price point is so cheap on ES, ESPN Plus is pull you in on that programming, get you uh, used to watching a lot of you know, your favorite sports and documentaries and shows, etc., and you get used to that, and you think, okay, well, for you mean I don't know five bucks extra a month or more uh, for Disney Plus. That makes sense too, because now you I mean I've, I've been using it for a year and I, I'm in. Kartik, so what about um, what about the big Saturday day, day, which was the the double header? He had the the Bundesliga game on Big Fox. You I mean of course uh, De Classica, uh, followed by DC United against LAFC uh, on you know, from Major League Soccer. Uh, on Fox also, a double header. This is going to be a big day for Fox. This is going to be a big day for the Bundesliga and Major League Soccer. Uh, what happened? Yeah, I thought that it was very odd how they um, how, how they essentially op- operated um, and, and, and presented the two matches very differently, right? So you have full studio for the Bundesliga, Kate Abdo hosting, a lot of analysis, a lot of discussion, Warren Barton, Ian Joy, Jovan Karofsky, about the psychological factors. I mean, Dortmund didn't turn up. It, it was an embarrassing performance, quite frankly, and, and something that we don't expect from Lucien Favre teams and we expect them to at least uh, uh, turn up and, and, and give an effort. But a lot of um, uh, deconstruction. Of that. You have Keith Costigan on the call uh, calling the match in a very traditional I think European fashion uh, and, and uh, doing the sort of things that um, that engage uh, people who are, whose personal preferences are to watching European football. Then, after that match is over, to a major league soccer match where Rob Stone and Alexi Lawless are, are somehow uh, they're they're in the crowd. They're not giving much analysis. They're talking to DC United supporters, and then the broadcast uh, with uh, with John Strong, who I like a, a great deal, um, calling the match is 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 laden with stats, kind of useless stats, Audi player index graphics that that are. Uh, I thought were kind of distracting in the middle of the match, talking about statistics. You know, not not the way NBC does Premier League graphics, where they put it kind of uh, on the bottom of the score bug. And you know, if you're, if you're interested, you can read it. If you're just interested in watching the match, you can watch the match. This is uh, these were graphics that were I thought a little more distracting. In many cases, the t- statistics were pretty irrelevant. They were classic kind of American. Uh, American stats. And look, I mean, um, I know a lot of our listeners who don't like Major League Soccer can say, oh, well, that's because you know, MLS is just trying to appeal to cla- uh, classic sports fans and it shows MLS is, is this and that. There's some truth to that. I think MLS and U.S. Soccer both use um, the, the people who, who, who make these decisions at those leagues are circulating with people who work in baseball, basketball, football, or American football. And they try and, uh, du- uh, they try and uh, gum up the stats and, and really kind of dump down the analysis side, the, the hard analysis side. But I will say there are people in Major League Soccer, including a number of the coaches, who don't, any, don't like that stuff. They're, they're very traditional. They're very kind of European in the way they approach the game, the way they use stats, the way they use analytics. Um, and maybe they should be, you know, use them more, but you could argue that. But still, uh, so I thought it was a presentation 
that was geared towards uh, casual American sports fans. And then the next thing I will say about it is that this is not necessarily the way they present on FS1. So I think they were dumbing down this stuff or gumming up the stats and, and all of the, all of all of that those uh, those things because it was on Big Fox on FS1. Oftentimes, I mean, Fox is not very consistent. This is the, one of the things I complain about with them. But sometimes on FS1, their MLS broadcasts are great. You know, they they present a game, they analyze a game, and uh, and and do the things that you would expect as a soccer fan. So um, I think it had a lot to do with it being on Fox, Big Fox, it being in, in a pretty lucrative time slot for uh, over the air and uh, trying to. Uh, Kind of change the, the 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 appeal and 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 uh, the narrative. Now now this having been all said, Chris, you had an observation about the Fox pregame show on the Bundesliga, which I was not able to watch because it was blocked out in in my television market. Yeah, that was the thing that I noticed uh, pre-match. So pre-match for for Bayern against Dortmund, uh, I thought it was actually decent. I thought it was. I mean, you got the the full set, you got the, the analysts uh, chiming in, um, some good discussions. But they had a really short segment uh, where they tried to compare the Bundesliga uh, to Texas A&M college football uh, fans as far as the passion. The type of passion you would expect to see in the Bundesliga is, is about the same as, as in a college football game. And, and you kind of brought that up in the past too, Kartik, in terms of that level of fandom. And, and that type of audience is very more similar to, say, a soccer audience than, say, an NFL audience is. But it was very short. It was a very short segment, and it seemed to be almost, I don't know, an infomercial. Or not, not an infomercial, but kind of a, a partnership between Texas A&M and the Bundesliga. Maybe they're working closely together, or maybe Bayern's working closely together with them. But it's, it was really appealing to that mainstream audience. It wasn't as bad as like, football is football, you know, football compared to football, but it was kind of definitely a um, – they were definitely reaching. Yeah, I, I um, did not see that. I find the I, I agree with that, by the way, that that and I always make the comparison between European football and American college sports. However, the choice of Texas A and M is an odd one, unless there's some sort of partnership they're working on, as you said, some sort of uh, relationship. Because Texas A and M hasn't won anything. I mean, I, 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 I they're they're the, they're the program I use often to talk about. You know, fans have uh, unrealistic expectations and, and a sense of entitlement. Uh, the, them in football and, and NC State in basketball, they uh, they haven't won anything, whereas Borussia Dortmund has won two Bundesliga titles this decade. So, you know, maybe you compare um, uh, you compare them to, to someone like, uh, like uh, uh, not Alabama, but someone like Clemson, someone uh, who, who wins their conference regularly. Texas A&M hasn't even won a conference title, I think, in 20 years, in, the, in which in, they've been in two different conferences. But that was Odd. So there must be some partnership that they're working on because that's an odd choice of school. That was something I brought up in the last episode was talking about who Fox is trying to target when they're broadcast, broadcasting soccer. I mean, are they going after the diehard audience, which which certainly not, uh, or at least I mean that that's the, not who they're gravitating towards, especially with the Major League Soccer coverage. Or are they going for more of a mainstream sports fan? Uh, and a casual fan and just trying to bring them in, someone that's been used to watching baseball on television for all these years or, or uh, even some of, some of the other traditional American sports. And um, I think that's, that's some of the differences that we saw that, that with the, the Bayern-Dortmund um, game, it was more, like you said, Kartik, more kind of a, uh, maybe not for a diehard, but pretty close to it, more of a traditional European type of broadcast versus the MLS one, which was kind of 
trying to be fun, trying to be hip, trying to be very kind of, I don't know, I, I, not very American, but just, just kind of appealing to that American mainstream. Now, at the end of the day, we'll get to the TV ratings later, but, but between the two games, the, the, the Bayern Dortmund game had the, the higher ratings. So does that mean that Fox should try to go down that path of, 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 of that type of broadcast? Uh, but then it, you can't really say that because of the teams that are playing. You've got Dortmund and, and Bayern in a title race game. Uh, and then DC United and LAFC, two of the best teams in Major League Soccer at that point in the season, um, playing a game that yes, it's you know it's early in the season. It's not not uh, close to the playoff time, but uh, yeah. Overall, uh, again, too the the, the Bayern Dortmund game. I watched about I actually watched until halftime, and then I was done because you know I, I, I could see this way, the way the game was going. Uh, and it was all 100% by Munich, and I was like, okay, this is going to be just a steamroller of a game. So I switched it off, and I'm sure a lot of other people did that too. Um, and then moving on to the DC United LAFC uh, game, actually, I, I was I think I had one of my kids' soccer games, so I came back later that day, had had it taped, jumped in to watch it, uh, watch the pregame, and again, as far as the game goes, same thing. I watched it to, to about half time and, and switched it off because again, it was a very one-sided game. Um, the one thing I would say about the DC United LAFC, the MLS uh, pregame for, for, by Fox, it was strange because I'm not sure if the DC United fans were um, boycotting, not going into, into the stadium early, or if they didn't want to be on television, or if the, there was traffic jams, or if there was tailgating. But it's not a good look when you have a live Fox broadcast broadcasting a DC United section, supporter section, and it's half empty. I mean, there's tons of pockets of empty bleachers and seats there. It's not a good look, especially when it's live television. And, and, and I just thought that that was something that, uh, that maybe, I mean, it's half an hour before a game starts. You mean, that, that crowd should be packed. They should be in there singing, uh, but it wasn't. And it wasn't a good look for, for television. Yeah, Chris, this week, I mean, also watched a, a, a fair amount of Premier League on NBC and um, the FA Cup semifinal uh, on uh, ESPN Plus that on, on Sunday was fantastic. Martin Tyler and uh, Stuart Robson. Uh, I, uh, listeners uh, know I like Stuart Robson. Uh, a lot of uh, Arsenal fans out there might not. <laughs> so, um, But, but I, I, I always like what he gets. He's broadcasting games. I see him do more uh, Bundesliga matches now than uh, I do uh, anything Premier League related. Well, I guess he doesn't do Premier League games. It's it's uh, Premier League teams in the FA Cup or or League Cup. We see him or Champions League. So uh, I thought Martin Tyler had some interesting insight into Watford because let's not forget, um, and this is something I don't know if a lot of our listeners realize that Martin Tyler uh, kind of moonlights as a uh, as a coach as well as an assistant coach. He's at Walking now, and they. They were a great story, right, in the early rounds of the uh, FA Cup. Got to the third round and got to play uh, Watford in that round. And, and, and uh, he was on the touchline, just feet away from Javi Gracia. So uh, not only is Martin Tyler arguably the best English language commentator on the planet, but he also had this additional insight in this match, which I uh, – I, I really enjoyed, and actually, there was a I had an, a, an opportunity to interview him about a decade ago when um, 
technological issues. We never aired that interview on this uh, on this uh, website, but uh, it was actually done for this website. And, and he, he was uh, talk, telling me a little bit about his uh, his moonlighting as, as a coach. And, and now I think he's actually more serious about it than he was uh, 10 years ago. Has more time to do it. So that was kind of cool. And then Champions League, obviously, this week, I thought um, – I'll be honest, I was watching the games and didn't really focus on TNT's pregame, although I, I liked some of the analysis uh, before the Spurs match. I, I thought there was a little more analytical, tactical analysis than, than we've been getting. Um, one thing that I think was really important this week, they added a score bar with the other match going on. So when there were goals in the Ajax-Juventus game, we knew, or when there weren't goals, we saw the highlights, the clips of both of those goals pretty quickly after they happened. Now, it was kind of lucky because one was right before halftime, one was right after halftime, but they were able to show those pretty quickly. Akeda Abdo did a good job of, of, of kind of transitioning to showing those highlights. And then on Tuesday, uh, when Liverpool scored, we knew, even though it was in the middle of the first half of Spurs, uh, Man City and, and, and they couldn't break in or show the clip, but you saw a score bar that said Liverpool won uh, one nil, two nil, and the same thing the next day. Juventus one nil, uh, I, uh, Juventus one one, Ajax uh, or Ajax one one. Ajax was at home, mm-hmm. so that that was a major improvement. Why they didn't do something like that during the group stage, and then said, of course, watch on BR Live. Uh, why they didn't do something like that during the group stage, uh, I, I don't know. And that's another question for them. But they're, they're figuring things out gradually at TNT. Uh, yeah, they are. They're, they're definitely making small adjustments. Um, this week was – I mean the biggest, biggest difference this week was, again, uh, just one studio. So I wonder now if the, at this stage in the, in the competition uh, if they're going to stick with that. And I would think probably yes just because of uh, – I mean, Tim Howard's been really the star of the show, I think, in terms of the analysis, other than Stu Holden. Stu Holden's been great. Uh, Stu and Tim Howard have been the, the, the best by far. And then um, the others kind of fill in. And, and most of those are focused, I mean, are living or working on the West Coast. So it makes sense to have more of an L.A. studio. Uh, the Atlanta studio would be usually, what, Carlos Bocanegra, who's okay. And, uh, I mean, sometimes a guest from, from Europe who is... You know, kind of uh, inconsistent, uh, to be fair. But uh, in terms of the coverage this week, I thought it was, eh, it, it was okay. Uh, it, it, it felt almost like a uh, a Fox Sports light in terms of the cha- the coverage of the Champions League. There was nothing really. I mean, they were really missing Tim Howard in terms of his analysis. Um, the analysis that they provided was okay, no, nothing special, no, nothing really noteworthy, other than Stuart Holden. Stuart Holden's still the standout star in terms of, especially when it's a tactical analysis, and he gets uh, stands up to go to the big monitor, and he's looking at uh, the way that the team's going to be lining up and how he thinks that, that, that you mean, uh, Skolskar is going is to set this team up. And it was pretty close to what he predicted. So, yeah, it's 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 okay. It's... It's really at this point in time, uh, no surprises. Uh, it's it's okay. No, 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 nothing more than that, um, which is what not what they're trying to do. They're trying to freshen things up, um, and they've fixed a lot of the issues they've had. There's still some small technical issues, uh, but overall, it's okay. And, and uh, but I, I felt left there disappointed, kind of thinking like, I mean, is that really the best that they can do? Um, Part of it is the talent that they have at their disposal, and uh, it's okay, but but nothing brilliant. Um, in terms of some of the, the other matches, Kartik, uh, I watched. I, actually, I, I did watch, of course, the Champions League, but 
Martin Tyler, you mentioned a second ago, I thought he did a really great job on the commentary for Man United against Barcelona uh, with Alan Smith. But um, Martin is especially good at talking about rules changes and saying it in a very informed manner in terms of, okay, well, here's what's happening. Uh, here's how the rules are going to change this summer. Uh, isn't it interesting about how, you mean, kind of the, the linesman's doing this or the referee's doing that? Um, and it's very cool, calm, and measured in terms of his his uh, uh, kind of uh, viewpoints, really. And it's sometimes educational. Sometimes it's really informative. But he does it in a way that's not condescending. It's just really, really well done. Um, so the other matches I watched this past week, um, I must say that the Southampton-Liverpool game on Friday, um, I, I loved Arlo White's goal call for uh, Mo Salah's goal I mean, what a, another great game, a really uh, late, late victory here. But uh, Arlo White uh, with the line, cometh the hour, cometh the man, as uh, Mo Salah uh, scores a goal that, you mean know, it was kind of, uh, kind of an own goal, but, but still a goal's a goal. And um, post-match actually was interesting too, because of Southampton and Liverpool, as soon as the game ended, they went, NBCSN went to Sky Sports and had the Sky Sports uh, on the pitch interviews uh, Gary Neville, uh, Kelly Cates, and also uh, Jamie Carragher uh, interviewing Mo Salah, I think Jordan Henderson, and another Liverpool player. And that was really well done because it was a long extended interview um, and it was really, you, you could really feel the emotion coming through from the players and, and from Jamie Carragher. Uh, that was really well done. Watched some championship over the weekend. Um, as I mentioned, uh, watch some of the games. Watch the Tampa Bay Rowdies against Hartford uh, from USL on ESPN Plus, and uh, that's about it. I watched, watched some other games too, but that's all it's worth mentioning. So I want to talk to you about the latest uh, TV streaming news, but before I get to that, let's give a shout, shout out to our sponsor that's offering you ten dollars off your soccer tickets. So this show is sponsored by SeatGeek, and uh, SeatGeek. Uh, is one of the the best in the industry when it comes to uh, tickets, whether it's for soccer, uh, sports, you name it. So the ticket industry hasn't changed in a long time. There are a bunch of big companies who have been around forever but don't really care about making the experience easier for the customer. SeatGeek is different. Uh, With SeatGeek, it's a ticket company where the customer comes first with more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store. SeatGeek is focused on making your experience as easy as possible. SeatGeek puts, uh, pulls in millions of tickets from all over the web, uh, rates the, each deal on a scale of 1 to 10, and displays them on an interactive seat map. So it's simple to find what you're looking for. Uh, green dots are good deals and red dots are overpriced. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. Now, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. And it's really easy to use. I've been looking at it this past week because um, another one of my favorite bands is coming on tour this summer. And it's a band called uh, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, uh, better known as OMD. And I'm hoping that they come down to Florida to check them out. Uh, Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. And um, best of all, my listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. So whether it's OMD, whether it's your favorite band, whether it's uh, the International Champions Cup, or any of the friendlies coming this summer. And lastly, of course, SeatGeek supports our show. So go support them because they support us. Use our promo code WSTPOD. 
that's one word, WSTPOD, for $10 off your first purchase. You can use that for concert tickets, sports, comedy, whatever you want. Remember, that's promo code WSTPOD for $10 off your first purchase. Now, Kartik, uh, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, Chris, I have to blame you if I have uh, if you leave uh, from the movie <laughs> Pretty Intent going through my head the rest of the day. I actually love that song, Love OMD, and and uh, uh, the movie was you know, kind of an '80s cult classic. Now I'm gonna have that going through my head. It, awesome. it, it, definitely the rest of the show, maybe the rest of the day. Um, awesome. Anyway, moving on. Uh, ESPN Plus, and uh, uh, I've written a lot about this already on Twitter, et cetera, and working on an article related to it. ESPN Plus will call carry all U.S. Open Cup games from the uh, first full round, which is uh, the first week of May, uh, on uh, in a multi-year deal through 2022. Uh, real quickly before I get to you, Chris, on this, because I know you have some thoughts, I uh, – I'm one of the few people who have concerns about uh, the Open Cup in general because I think there's a financial burden placed on lower division teams. And I'm all for this television deal if we see some of the money filter down to those lower division teams. Having worked in the lower divisions, um, a lot of people love the Open Cup from the outside just like they romanticize the FA Cup. But it's actually – uh, a heavy financial burden. The matches are all midweek games. They're all matches which are difficult to market because they're on Tuesdays or Wednesday nights, and you have a, a week or two turnaround time to advertise these matches. And in the past, doing television production has been an expense that's been difficult for some teams to to deal with. Now I understand that's going to be offset by this deal, which is good, and, and ESPN Plus will, will pay for that. Uh, but I'm hoping we see some of the money filter down because otherwise it's a, it's a tournament right now that's kind of cool, very cool, but it doesn't have any – real incentive for lower division teams other than to say, hey, you know, we beat an MLS team, we beat a USL team, whatever, uh, and brag about it. It doesn't have any financial or tangible incentives beyond that. So hopefully there's some financial reward or at least financial cost offsets that come from this TV deal. In theory, this is, uh, this is great news. This is really good news in theory because it means that uh, those soccer fans who are watching, who have, who have been watching the FA Cup, or USL or, or um, Major League Soccer or a bunch of other leagues on ESPN Plus now have access to all of the US Open Cup games from the first full round onwards. And it's uh, maybe for some people more accessible, uh, for others perhaps not. But in the past, I mean, US Open Cup games have been all over the place. I mean, whether it's YouTube or some of them were on ESPN 3 perhaps or ESPN 2 in, in the semifinals. But it's been very scattered this is one central place where you know that, okay, go to this place, ESPN Plus, and you'll be able to see all of the U.S. Open Cup games. My big question is is in terms of how much money did ESPN pay for the rights to this competition? Because it's a competition that has a, a lot of, um, I guess, a lot, of, a lot of opportunity to grow. This is a, a proud competition that, that needs a lot of love and care and some t- TLC which I'm sure ESPN will give to it. Um, at the end of the day, though, it depends on the product, so on the quality of the, of the broadcast, uh, on the quality of the announcers. This should be a big investment, um, whether it's by ESPN or uh, U.S. Soccer Federation, or you can have them working uh, in partnership together to make this the tournament that it deserves to be. At the end of the day, though, how much did ESPN pay for the rights to this competition, uh, which were brokered, um, the agency representing 
uh, the U.S. Open Cup in selling these rights was some Soccer United Marketing, who we know are you know, basically joined at the hip. I mean, in the same building as Major League Soccer, they they are aligned with Major League Soccer one hundred percent. And and we don't know what those financial figures are. We don't know how much ESPN paid, if they paid anything at all. Uh, I think they should have paid a sizable amount of money uh, to I mean, U.S. Soccer Federation and to some uh, for these rights in order to have the access and, and have the rights, exclusive rights to, to that. Uh, and having said that, whatever that, that amount of money was, which hopefully some went ahead and shopped around the US, uh, U.S. Open Cup, to a lot of the streaming providers out there, a lot of the, the companies out there that would be interested in, in having access to a tournament like this, how much of that money goes back to the lower division clubs, if anything? And I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see uh, what happens in terms of... Because uh, US, U.S. Soccer Federation is not going to tell you that. Uh, neither will ESPN. Uh, and probably we'll find out from some of these lower division clubs um, if they are seeing any money coming from this TV deal or the streaming deal because there should be. Kartik, you agree? Yeah, I agree with that. And, and not only that, Chris, I, what I would also say is that uh, in the past, U.S. soccer, MLS, some have not been great about uh, transparency with regards to their other dealings, their other uh, marketing deals in terms of, of, of dollar amounts and, and media deals. We know the overall value of the sum package, which includes the U.S. national teams and Major League Soccer. We do not know where the money goes and, and, and uh, what percentage goes back to the Federation, what, feder- what percentage is invested in this and that, which I believe between the NASL's lawsuit and the U.S. women's national team lawsuit, we might find that out. But uh, my concern, again, on this, I mean, I have several concerns, as I outlined earlier, but my concern on some specifically is a year ago, or it's now been well, more than a year, a year and a half ago, when Carlos Cordero was running for U.S. soccer president, he had talked about conflicts of interest and specifically with Soccer United Marketing. This is a deal that was clearly done after Sunil Gulati left the presidency with Carlos Cordero in there. So what has changed that Cordero um, is willing to get into a new deal? Uh, and actually, two new deals with some. The, uh, the Volkswagen deal, the uh, uh, sponsorship deal was negotiated by Soccer United Marketing uh, for, for – uh, sponsorship deal for, for the U.S. Uh, men's and women's national teams. And now this deal uh, was was done by Soccer United Marketing. Now it's possible the Volkswagen deal had begun during Sunil Gulati's tenure, but this one did not. So um, that's a concern from just the, the, the 30,000-foot level that the conflicts of interest that uh, candidate Cordero talked about, the perceived conflicts of interest um, – he either has determined as President Cordero there are no conflicts of interest and we can just proceed as we did before, or um, he's turned a blind eye to it, or perhaps not really in control. So I don't know what the answers to any of that stuff is, but just another concern with uh, Soccer United Marketing being the agency that negotiated this. And yes, Chris, uh, I will find out from talking to people at lower division clubs whether they see uh, a tangible benefit from this. We may not know in the next month or two, but uh, a year from now I'll be able to report back safely, hey, this is really good amateur club X that advanced to the third round of the U.S. Open Cup, got a share of the TV revenue, um, and, and it was fantastic, and it helped sustain their operations for the year, or um, 
Amateur Club X made it to the third round of the U.S. Open Cup, and the TV and, and all three matches were streamed, and they got to play a professional team and got eliminated, and they got no tangible benefit, and they had to incur the cost of travel, and they didn't get that back from U.S. soccer for months, and they didn't see anything from the TV deal. So um, I'll be able to say one of those two things, I think, in, in nine to 12 months uh, with some safe uh, with some, some facts behind me. Yep, that'll be good news there, Kartik, uh, to hear that, to find out uh, exactly what's happening. All right, TV ratings, let's look at that real quickly. So we talked about Bayern against Dortmund, and we talked about uh, LAFC against DC United. Um, so the numbers that came out from those two games. On um, Big Fox, this is over-the-air Fox. This is um, you know, a channel that's in almost practically every single home in the United States, some massive numbers there. Uh, the viewership on uh, Fox and Fox Deportes uh, combined – uh, for Bayern against Dortmund was 575,000, uh, which is a big number for the Bundesliga. Um, the game that followed it was the DC United LAFC game. This one was staggeringly slow, uh, low. Uh, 341,000 viewers watched this game. Uh, the comparison I made on social media, on Twitter, was that a, a relegation battle between in, in February, uh, both teams looking like they might get relegated or, or you know, heading towards relegation, Huddersfield against Newcastle United on NBCSN, which is you know on cable, um, a much smaller um, number of homes that it's in. That had more viewers watching that game than they watched uh, the DC United LAFC game on Saturday. Some of the other games: uh, the U.S. Women's National Team against uh, Belgium, uh, four hundred thirty-nine thousand viewers on ESPN two, uh, good number there. Arsenal against Everton on uh, NBCSN for the Sunday morning game, 381,000 viewers. And um, Cincinnati against Sporting Kansas City on ESPN uh, on Sunday, uh, 239,000 viewers, uh, which is certainly lower than what uh, ESPN usually gets on a Sunday. And uh, Barcelona against Atleti, a big game there too uh, on BN Sports on Saturday. This one, we only have the number for the EBN Sports uh, English channel. That was 100, 146,000 people watched that. Uh, the Spanish channel is usually about twice as many to three times as many um, viewers watching it on the Spanish side as on the English side. So we're probably talking close to uh, roughly like maybe 350,000 to 400,000 people watched that game, which is, which is a good number. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. Um, first up is Harry. He says, so here is my question for the gaffer. What is EPL doing to grow the game in the U.S.? FanFest? You could argue that USL, NPSL, UPSL are the ones growing the game more than any other soccer league in the United States. Seeing the explosion of UPSL in Texas is proof of that. So, yeah, Harry, there's no doubt that uh, a lot of the lower leagues are making serious inroads across the United States in terms of going into markets where there's no local team um, and, and basically creating a local team and having them play in the lower leagues. And that is helping from the lower league level. Uh, what I'm talking about in terms of uh, how the Premier League is really growing the game in the United States is on a different level, which would be in terms of a lot of the, the games have been, I mean, a lot of friendlies being played throughout the United States, attracting Massive crowds, you know, over 100,000 people uh, in uh, Ann Arbor, in Michigan, uh, other big crowds, 80,000, 70,000, maybe 30,000 in Miami, whatever they may be. Uh, that's, that's my thing is in terms of from the past 10 years, you look at the Premier League 
and what they've done. A lot of the Premier League clubs, um, I mean, the Premier League clubs are, are doing more friendlies in the United States than probably any other league in the world. I mean, even in our area where we live in South Florida, uh, I think the last time a, a major league soccer team came to play a friendly in in South Florida was probably. I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, uh, I think when the LA Galaxy came as part of the International Champions Cup. Uh, and, and we've had Man United and Liverpool, uh, just as two, as two teams, play more in South Florida in the last five years than, than, than any Major League Soccer team has done. So, Although I actually have to point out a lot of MLS teams come here for, for preseason and they've had friendlies that just haven't been advertised. Um, but they've wow. been here. Yeah, but... That's that's a part of the thing. Why aren't they advertising it? Why aren't they? Which and and, and that's the thing that. Well, goes. sometimes there are restrictions because of NCAA rules. If they're playing a college team, uh, you know the, the the NCAA can't advertise that they're having those games. You can't tweet about it, etc. Okay, okay, but 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 that's my thing about Major League Soccer is that which is it's. I understand in terms of the single entity, and they have rules where. You mean I believe they have rules where they can't really even take the I don't know New York team and start playing in South Florida. Because uh, that's not in in their area, but right. Have, well, that's also because of their collective bargaining agreement. They can't play on certain dates in certain places. Yeah, but, but see, that's that's the thing to me is that Major League Soccer should be taking the, the show on the road. They should say, you know, you know what, let's go into some of these markets that we don't have uh, a, a team in, and let's play some friendlies. Let's try to uh, create some goodwill. Let's try to create some positivity. Let's have let's have a tournament. Let's have a tournament at some point in the season where. We can uh, mean, all agree that it would be a great idea to, to kind of showcase Major League Soccer. And that, and that really today is the All-Star game, which, I mean, which, which to me is a kind of a big event. It's more about the event than the game itself. But it's in one city, I mean, once a year, and, and that's it. I mean, to me, they should be on the road more. They should be trying to, I mean, even if it's not the, the, the teams themselves, maybe it's the marketing um, side of things in terms of getting it more into the markets. Uh, or partnering more with USL teams and, and trying to really sincerely, authentically kind of grow the game. I, I'm, I'm not seeing any of that. So that goes back to kind of what we talked about on last week's pod um, in answer to, to Harry. Uh, Trevin says, the idea that community sports fans do not exist in the U.S. is absolute rubbish. American community fandom can be found at most high schools every Friday nights in the fall. Soccer popularity in the U.S. is the issue. And fan support will rise as the sport continues to gain traction. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I actually uh, have made the point repeatedly, maybe not on this show, but on other shows um, and, and in personal conversations, that the area which has the greatest soccer fandom on the small kind of community grassroots level is the southeastern United States and the state of Texas, where you have uh, real interest in high school and college football. Uh, and, and it kind of translates to that same thing. That's why I don't think it's any coincidence you've seen USL uh, in their various leagues expand into Birmingham, Memphis, Nashville, uh, Chattanooga, Greenville, South Carolina, and, uh, and Statesboro, Georgia in the last year, or last year and a half. I mean, those have all been new teams. And, and they there's a reason, and I think it's 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 what uh, what you're saying there, Trevin. It's 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 exactly um, due to that community thing. But I don't know that that's universal around the country. I will say it's definitely true in the southeast and in Texas. Oh, sorry, El Paso uh, is another new team uh, this year in, in Austin, and those are you know college football areas, high school football areas. Uh, going back to Harry's comment, just for a second, I just thought of one more thing, and that is that. Um 
for example, like every every year, usually twice a year, but but my, a lot of my kids will play in the Disney soccer tournament, which is a huge deal. You, you've got hundreds of teams from around the country uh, playing at Disney Wide World of Sports um, in Kissimmee, in Orlando, Florida. And um, I think this past year it was uh, La Liga. La Liga had a big booth set up. They had a tent set up where they were handing out kind of freebies, talking to a lot of the, the kids and, and the coaches as they, they're going through. And, and that's something, too, that, that Major League Soccer, whether it's the club itself, whether it's Orlando, who is not there, uh, or if it's just the, the league itself needs to do a better job of trying to kind of uh, ingratiate itself within the community, the soccer community, because it, right now it seems to be kind of an us versus them, uh, even though they have this, you mean, our soccer uh, kind of uh, ad slogan, which, which I, I disagree with. I mean, they, they've had variations of that same thing, which I disagree with too. But to me, it's like they need to do the work. They can't just sit there and think, okay, right, we're going to have this league and we're going to have these teams and, and then people are going to attract to Major League Soccer well, in big ways. Okay, so in, in reference to Harry's question, I think uh, uh, he didn't mention MLS. He's talking about USL, NPSL, and UPSL. And that's really our soccer. That's soccer at a grassroots level. That's soccer uh, which is being uh, done by the community and it's being done at a very localized level. I, I, uh, I think that's what he was getting at and, and that those leagues are doing more uh, you know, USL also with their youth programs. You could argue doing more than any league uh, in the country. Same thing with NPSL. I don't agree with USL's business model, by the way. I have a bigger problems with their business model than I do with MLS, believe it or not. And if anyone wants to privately hit me up on that, we can talk about it. But uh, I think they're doing a tremendous job in spreading this sport in a way MLS isn't, and in the way, that, quite honestly, I don't think the Premier League is. Uh, NPSL, UPSL, same thing. Um, UPSL in particular, really making inroads. Your county, Chris, Palm Beach County, Florida has 10 UPSL teams. Now, is that maybe oversaturation? You could argue that, but they're really making an effort. And that's a place where MLS has never done – has MLS ever done anything in Palm Beach County in your memory? I don't think they've ever been into Palm Beach County. <laughs> yeah, I, so they, I, I there you go. Set foot in Palm Beach County. But, but that's the thing we talked about last week and what we had a big disagreement about is that without promotion relegation – for a local fan living in, say, Palm Beach County and has 10 teams that play in, in that league, what's the incentive to actually show, turn up and watch that game? Because those teams will be playing the same teams year in, year out for the most part, unless some you mean, fold and some new ones join. There, mm -hmm. th there isn't that incentive to actually mm -hmm. say, okay, well, actually, maybe if I start watching these games, I can maybe help grow the club or volunteer my time and help, help see them move up the ladder. I completely agree with that, and I think that's a, that's a big part of it. But there is another component, which is community. And hey, the kid down the the, the, kid, the guy down the street, his kid is playing for that team. So you, you you have that as well. I think that that's a way of binding things in. But yeah, as long as we have a closed system, we're going to have some of these problems. And um, U.S. soccer. Again, I've said this over and over again on this show and others. They don't even want to have the conversation. Major League Soccer doesn't even want to have the conversation about opening the system. There are a lot of benefits for them. We this this show is about media and television ratings for the most part, Chris. They we every week we talk about MLS's TV ratings. There is an obvious solution to it, um, and it's a solution they don't want to even engage in conversation. And it's what you just mentioned. Promotion and relegation, and, and and it's all connected, even from the, the lower, even the lower levels, all the way up to to the highest level in the United States. John Average Geek says uh, so much in the latest pod. I agree and disagree with. I don't even know where to start. Uh, but he does mention one comment, and he says 
that Fox and ESPN do not cover MLS. They just broadcast it. The closest is Ali, uh, Ali uh, Moreno, uh, his weekly awards on ESPN FC, and last season's MLS Rewind and the Alexi Lalas pod. Covering it would take a weekly show uh, and then MLS guests on all platforms and more. Gorilla Talk says, I got to listen to the World Soccer Talk podcast this morning. Lots of good stuff, a few thoughts. Uh, number one, Portsmouth is an example of how to survive and succeed in a system that is increasingly top-heavy with little regard for the lower divisions. Look at all the winding up orders. Lower divisions in England are not as lucrative and they should be given um, the amount of money in the sport. Number two, I disagree with the assertion that Americans don't do community in sports. The most successful lower division teams have great communities. Also, college sports is more about community than athletics. We get it, just haven't applied it yet to the highest level. Number three, MLS is built on exclusivity. In being so exclusive, they have shut out two-thirds of the country. Their ratings and attendance reflect that, and as long as they embrace that exclusivity, they will struggle. Number four, <laughs> I wish you guys would argue more rather than go on extended rants. Uh, put a timer on and make your point and counterpoint. Uh, your part is more interesting when you disagree with each other. And uh, Gorilla Talk, I, I, do, I, I did go on too long in the last part. I apologize for that, listeners. Uh, but I was on a rant. I was upset, uh, and I wanted to get it off my chest in terms of some of the things, some of the frustrations, uh, some of the things I read. And, and actually, that was the title of the podcast, is that MLS media and MLS fans need to get out of their bubble because within that bubble, everything's great. Look at the attendance numbers. Aren't we doing great? In reality, those are numbers that are uh, really created by Major League Soccer. So those numbers are meaningless. I mean, the one thing that is meaningful is the TV ratings, and, and that's where the issue is. And that's why we keep on trying to drill at home uh, time after time. Uh, and any other thoughts, Kartik, on uh, Gorilla Talk's uh, points there? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, there's some... Uh uh, I agree with him on the community thing. And again, uh, he's from the Southeast, so he, he knows uh, how, how it is in, in, in this part of the country. Uh, yeah, the argument, I guess we argue when we when we don't when we disagree. I, maybe we agree too much. Yeah. And that's the thing at the end of the day, too, is that this is honest uh, feedback. So so a lot of the stuff you see on television. So whether it's talking heads or if it's halftime uh, uh, during an MLS game or whatever it may be, a lot of that is. Um, Warren Barton will say, okay, I'm going to take this side. Okay, Eric Ronaldo, whoever it would, would have been in the past, said, okay, I'm going to take the other side. And let's pretend to argue. Let's pretend to have a conversation where we're going to disagree with each, each other and have it out on the air a halftime during a Champions League game. And, and that is manufactured, uh, really, kind of, uh, it's drama, it's, it's, it's entertainment. What this is, what you're getting from me and Kartik are, are honest, 100%, uh, no holds back opinions. And. Um, you're not going to get that so on television. So what you do get is honest feedback. And sometimes we agree. A lot of time we agree. Sometimes we disagree and we, we get into heated uh, dis- debates. Dark Volta, what a name, says, uh, number one, I think I'm the target for MLS. I'm a millennial college graduate, income above the lowest option on surveys, and watch religiously on ESPN and Twitter. I have no intention of get, ever getting cable and will gladly wait out sports fully, uh, wait out uh, sports until they fully prioritize streaming. 
So number two, I so I keep hearing doom and gloom numbers, yet at the same time, all of MMA's media is freaking out about the dollars they're getting from ESPN+. UFC was also seen falling ratings on Fox. The future is not cable, though it's clear they will, uh, they will make it difficult, difficult to go away. Number three, adding more context to UFC's last era on Fox, they were doing similar things to Major League Soccer in over-inflating their numbers with a few events. McGregor's numbers were huge, while its diehard fan base was turning off from everything else they were putting out. So, Doc Volta, so, so Fox, we, we've never said that um, Fox or any other broadcaster are inflating the numbers for television events. Uh, those numbers are uh, gathered by Nielsen. It's a, it's a you know, scientific study in terms of how many viewers are actually watching those games. So Fox and, and others have never inflated their numbers. I mean, they have no control of those numbers, um, which is why Nielsen reports those numbers, and, and then we find uh, those numbers and, and report them to you. But some of these other points are interesting. Um, I don't follow MMA or UFC. Um, yes, cable. I mean, yes, streaming is the future. Streaming is going to happen uh, more and more. Um, but uh, but a lot of these cable companies are the ones that are actually providing providing the streaming services. So whether it's uh, cable or satellite. So whether it's Sling TV, which is owned by Dish, whether it's ESPN Plus, that's owned by even Disney. Um, that it, it still is a very cable world, uh, even though we're watching a lot of the stuff on streaming. And the streaming numbers aren't there yet. The streaming numbers are minuscule in comparison to television, which is why we're putting a lot of uh, kind of emphasis on the television side of things, because the, the, the streaming numbers are so small. At some point in time, that will flip, uh, but it could, be, it could be 5 to 10 to 15 years from now. All right, uh, let's see. Up next is... Um, all right, John Average Geek has another, another comment. He says, let's give credit to Major League Soccer. It's stoked soccer investment in this country. It has survived, survived maybe with help, uh, but for, a, for it, to truly, to, for it truly to, ha- to thrive, it must change. In my opinion, uh, John Average Geek says, the biggest issue is meaningless early games. The solution is a balanced schedule, no playoffs, every game matters. And I think, uh, John, you're speaking, speaking to the choir there, too, in terms of uh, preaching to the choir. Yes, definitely, in the early days of Major League Soccer, everything that they've done, uh, they need to, to be applauded for that because it was a risk. It was a large investment. Um, that was many, many years ago, what, 96? And um, they've done incredible things um, in the early stages. It's more the last 10 years where we look at and say, okay, well, now it's time to take off the training wheels and... Um, to let capitalism uh, thrive. Raymond Dorosco says, Great show. I believe that promotion and relegation is the best system, but it's not the only system that could give us a globally competitive league. Ask Kartik what drives TV ratings more globally, promotion and relegation or super clubs. This is why I truly believe a European super club league is a realistic thing as long as they do not limit themselves on spending and foreigners they can attract. It will make it commercially viable I can see this league playing lots of games outside of Europe as well. Kartik, thoughts? 
Well, first of all, the, the, it's not their decision on foreigners. It's the decision of the governments, which those countries play in, uh, which those clubs play in, and their immigration laws as well as their visa laws. Okay, and this is something that Premier League fans it might hit them. And uh, we had Brexit's now been delayed until October, but it, it might hit them like a brick in a year or two that there are significantly more restrictions on foreign players, and it won't affect the super clubs because they're getting guys who will get work permits anyway because they're on national teams. It'll affect the mid-level clubs. Um, as far as um, uh, promote, you can't. It's tough to have super clubs without a system of promotion and relegation, unless you have uh, no salary cap, no kind of revenue sharing. No, you know, I, I, I think in closed leagues, it's difficult to have. You have dynasties that last two or three years, but you don't have consistent super clubs. Uh, maybe with the exception, I think, uh, at least in, in modern times, of, of the New York Yankees from '96 to. Uh, the mid 2000s and but baseball doesn't have all the restrictions the other uh, American pro sports leagues do so uh, I think uh, yeah I think super clubs drive the ratings more than promotion and relegation I'll agree with that I do think it's difficult to have super clubs without uh, an open market and a pro rel uh, scheme now you can have restrictions on ownership which is what we see in Germany, right? There's, the, the, you, you cannot have an oligarch. I, I can't go in as an American and buy 51% of Werder Bremen. Okay, I can buy 51% of Huddersfield Town if I wanted to, uh, or, or Nottingham Forest, uh, or AS Roma. So um, in Germany, there are restrictions on, 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 on who can own clubs and how uh, clubs' ownership structures are created, yet they have still developed one of the great super clubs in the world in Bayern. But again, it's an open system in, in, in the promotion relegation sense. So I think it's tough, uh, Ray, uh, Raymond, to... Uh, um, to do it without promotion relegation. But yeah, if, if you're asking what drives TV ratings more, yeah, it's Manchester United, Real Madrid, uh, uh, Barcelona, uh, uh, Juventus. It's clubs that are never going to get relegated. Uh, uh, well, Juventus get relegated, but that was for other reasons. But you know, you don't want to. But, but, but it makes it more balanced because like those games, like the Newcastle-Huddersfield game, will get a higher rating than a LAFC-DC United game. Uh, because there's that relegation uh, issue, I mean, just as one example, but, but in terms of the, the games that are kind of near the bottom of, say, Major League Soccer towards the end of the season, what's, what's the incentive to watch those games? There's absolutely no incentive to watch those games. Well, well and uh, this is a problem for the Premier League this year uh, in that the relegation fight has been decided all too early, I mean, in reality. So we'll, we'll see how it affects ratings this year. Yeah, um, which actually, speaking of which, too, this Saturday, uh, NBCSN has moved the game, which is Burnley against Cardiff, to NBCSN. Originally, it was NBC Sports Gold. And they've done go. that because it's a relegation battle. It's the, it's the yeah. two teams most likely to go down. Uh, whoever wins that game has a good chance of staying up. Uh, especially if it's Burnley, fingers crossed. <laughs> but but that, that's that's why NBC is putting it on, and a bunch of people watching that game. Hey, Kartik, we've got actually this episode. I think we've had the most amount of uh, feedback from listeners, uh, and we still have a bunch to go. So let me run through these real quickly. Uh, Bavarian yeah. Arsenal says, "I think streaming matters a lot for MLS coverage. For instance, I live in northern Wisconsin, and I'm a Chicago Fire fan. The only way I can watch a Chicago Fire match." Uh, when it's not televised nationally, is to stream it. I think this is the case for many fans. The same goes for foreign leagues as well. I used to not like the idea of streaming, but you cannot beat the ability to switch between so many games at a single time, like on ESPN+. As for the popularity of the Premier League, I think it's considered the most popular by many because of the often used phrase, 
everything is better in Europe. When English speakers say they think of England and the UK, I think many English speakers don't watch Spanish, Italian, German, or other language leagues because um, they're they are too foreign for them. The English of the Premier League at least gives some sort of comfort and, and um, relatability. Also, have you guys ever thought of doing a YouTube live stream Q and A? I think that would be a fun 30 minute or one hour segment. And Bavarian Arsenal, real quick. Yeah, yeah, that's something we'd love to do. Perhaps in the future we might do that. Craig Shapiro says, I know you guys have extolled the virtues of ESPN Plus, and while I agree that the value is second to none for football fans, the interface has problems, and the alleged algorithm is a joke. First, the interface. If you open the app in Roku or Apple TV, you best be right on time. If you select a match a few minutes early, you get a splash screen with match start time. Open the match again at, the, at said time or even after the start, and you'll get the same uh, said screen. Seemingly, it doesn't refresh. In regards to the algorithm, I've never watched anything on, uh, but soccer on ESPN+. Plus. Literally nothing else. Yet matches are never in the initial screen uh, op uh, options. I have to browse to soccer and then scroll through live and upcoming to find what I'm looking for. God forbid I want to watch On Demand, uh, which is even harder to find. Dave Brunk says, uh, been enjoying the podcast. I took you with me to a recent business trip to India. My experience has been that, uh, that, that, that there that uh, all the major European leagues are available and I'm enjoying all the Sky bumper programming for the Premier League. Is it possible to have access to it in the US? And the answer is no, unless you want to watch uh, Sky Sports News, which is kind of some segments on demand on YouTube. That's about it. Uh, one item often not mentioned in pro-rel discussion is the incentive ownership uh, is the incentive ownership would have to improve the club or not. As a Houston Dynamo fan, I'd welcome promotion relegation so the ownership steps in and stops sitting on their hands and does something. Daniel, hi guys. I just want to let you guys know that while I was cruising last week, ESPN Caribbean had almost all of the main soccer leagues on TV. And from what, from what I can remember, they were Serie A, Liga, the FA Cup, and Major League Soccer. How come they don't stream their games and we have to pay to stream? Is every country different with this? It was nice to see Liga and Serie A on a big screen for the first time in a while. And Daniel, yeah, absolutely. Um, the rights in the ESPN in the Caribbean are mostly owned by ESPN, and uh, many of those games are on television. But it's a different rights area than North America, with, with the United States specifically. Um, so in each different market around the world, different companies own different rights. Some of them are on television, some are not. Uh, but whenever you go on a cruise, it's it, for me, I enjoy it. I actually enjoy watching ESPN Caribbean and seeing some of the programming there. Curtis Williams says, I recently read on your website that all U.S. Open Cup games will be streamed live on ESPN Plus this season. Tremendous news indeed. Is there any league or tournament that ESPN Plus won't broadcast? First Copa America this summer, now U.S. Open, featuring, featuring my beloved Little Rock Rangers of the NPSL, who were the surprise team last year, finishing eighth overall before losing to eventual NPSL winner Miami FC uh, to... I wish all teams uh, the best in the competition, uh, as do we, Curtis. And, yeah, it looks like any rights that are available, ESPN Plus is gobbling up. You have to wonder, I mean, with La Liga rights uh, ending a year from now, 
and with other rights uh, coming up too. Uh, the Bundesliga would be the next big one too, uh, which I believe is, is at the same time. Whether ESPN Plus is going to go in with a major play and say, hey, we can have some of these games on television, uh, but the majority of these games on ESPN Plus, that could happen. Last but not least, David Roberts says, uh, when I worked for Bethany College several years ago, a professor was telling me about a conversation he had with a potential student about joining the football team. He said to the student, you know, playing for Bethany, the chances of you getting into the NFL are pretty slim. The student replied by saying, I don't care. I just want to play football while I'm studying. That's the kind of attitude that keeps the NFL and football as one of the most popular sports in this country. And when he says football, he means uh, American football. Uh, David, David Roberts goes on to say, we soccer fans can't just be stuck in the rut of focusing on creating future starters for the national team. We need to focus on growing a love and admiration for the sport. The NCAA is the most important part of doing this. Promotion relegation is seriously the last and least important piece of this puzzle. All right, guys, you can, and girls, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And we love your feedback. We love to get um, your opinions. Um, you some, of, some of you disagree with us. Some of you agree with us. But that's what makes this show uh, a pleasure, a joy to do week in, week out, getting that feedback. Now, Kartik, as far as your appearances on TalkSport or Sirius uh, XM or other places or your rants and raves, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, at KKFLA737. Alright guys, well thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. And Kartik, heading into another week of what should be some glorious football, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 